Howdy. What is going on? Good Friday to you. Welcome to the Pete Callender Show. Thank you for listening. And uh, a reminder, as always, you can get the latest episodes at the Pete Callender Show. We also have the marketplace there. Uh, you can read about all of the advertisers that we have there. Also get a link to the Patreon page. You can also join the Facebook group, the Pete Callender Show, where we solve all the world's problems uh, and um, have fun doing it. The show is made possible by patrons such as Chris and Curtis, Daniel, Daniel, Daryl, and then three Davids, David, David, and David. Uh, thank you very much, and Dennis as well, uh, for all of your support. I appreciate it. I couldn't do it without you. Um, also, I just saw this. Um, Japan has earmarked $2.2 billion of its record economic stimulus package to help its manufacturers shift production out of China as the coronavirus disrupts supply chains between the major trading partners. They also have money set aside for those seeking to move production to other countries. These are Japanese companies that will now be able to get government funds from Japan in order to get their production or supply chain out of China. Meanwhile, Hong Kong uh, the, uh, passed its biggest COVID-19 relief package yet, um, it is, or uh, sorry, is uh, proposing. They haven't passed it yet. They're proposing it. Uh, and part of their proposal is a six-month income guarantee to save jobs and firms amid disaster, uh, the disastrous impact of COVID-19. So that's uh, that's an interesting way to go. Whereas um, uh, we, we here in America, not so much. We did not decide to go with the, hey, why don't we give everybody uh, a paycheck for the next month while we tell them they can't work? Uh, no, that would have been, I don't know, too easy or something. Not really sure. <laughs> uh, we decided to make it complicated, but really, really expensive. It's kind of how we roll here. Um, for example, you've got this other uh, uh, relief package that's now being considered um, in Congress. This is to help support uh, the, uh, what's it called, the PPP, right? This is the, it's no, it's not the uh, the trade deal, the uh, the pacific partnership whatever 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 now this is for this is to help support the business loan program that uh originally passed it was bipartisan but it didn't have enough money in it this is the paycheck protection program and it was uh initially was like 250 billion dollars or something like that and now they want to throw some more money into the program because uh a lot more businesses need the loans and um Oh, there's not enough money, so they want to throw some more money into it, and of course now it's being uh, 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 bickered over by uh, the two parties. The Senate is where this is happening. They're at an impasse, according to CNN, over approving this uh, new round of funding after Republicans and Democrats blocked competing proposals on Thursday, creating uncertainty over whether and when there will be bipartisan agreement to approve further relief measures amid the ongoing crisis. Uh, this was interesting. The first headline that CNN put out on this story, here it was, uh, quote, Democrats block GOP-led funding boost for small business aid program. Okay, an hour later, that got rewritten to Senate at stalemate. <laughs> oh, CNN, don't ever change. 
<laughs> now, if you're thinking of changing your mattress, I've got the right place for you to go. It's Mattress Man Stores. Four locations in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. But they do ship nationwide, by the way. Uh, and they recognize that, you know, everybody is staying at home and uh, that you probably are not uh, going to uh, go out and shop for a mattress during these COVID times. Uh, and so they redid their website. And so here's the, they did a huge overhaul uh, on their e-commerce site. Uh, and so you can buy online from the inventory that Mattress Man has in stock. Every Mattress Man store's uh, employee, the owner, Chuck, all of them, uh, they they understand the uh the hardship that this is having on everybody okay chuck's a small business owner these people are employees as well right they all get it they're living it too and so what they're um uh what they're trying to do is make it as easy as possible for you to get a good night's sleep if you can't go to the store to get a mattress and by the way um their uh biltmore collection the restonic line those are all made in fayetteville so uh yeah american made no chinese supply line there as more people stay at home mattress man says they're enhancing their online presence so you can choose your best mattress from the comfort of your home there's uh the 120 day comfort guarantee that ensures you're going to love your mattress if you don't then they'll exchange it for free for a limited time after all they say sleeping on the right mattress will combat stress and anxiety for your optimal health the fear of choosing the wrong mattress should not add to this Go to mattressmanstores.com, click the shop online button and order online now and get free local white glove delivery. Use the special discount code RESTWELL for an additional 20% savings site-wide. That's RESTWELL, all one word, R-E-S-T-W-E-L-L, RESTWELL. Experience the difference at Mattress Man, mattressmanstores.com, buy local and sleep better. Um... So the Democrats blocked this effort by Senate Republicans to approve by unanimous consent an increase in funding for the small business loan program. And uh, Republicans then blocked the Democrats' proposal that they put up afterwards, arguing um, that it's uh, urgent to approve the increase in funding for the program immediately and that other issues can be addressed later. See, Democrats, after they blocked the Republicans' effort to just put more money into this small business relief aid program, uh, they then said, well, we have our we have this other bill that does what you want, but it also has additional funding for hospitals and state and local governments. OK, is that is that important? Yeah, maybe, probably. I don't know. I don't know enough about it. I don't know enough about the Treasury Department program. Like, I'm not a congressman. I assume that they are getting information from these organizations from Treasury that's saying, hey, we need some more money. Like, Treasury Department said, uh, we need another $250 billion for the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, this is a federally backed loan program intended to help business owners keep their enterprises afloat amid the global pandemic. The rollout, CNN says, has been far from smooth, and with so many applications coming in, Treasury is asking for more money now in an effort to assure business owners waiting in line that the money will be there. There are some other problems. I will get to this in a minute, but um, they say they need more money for the program because there's this belief that the money's not going to be there. Okay. Meanwhile, you have this other issue that the Democrats are all, you know, hot to trot for, which is bailing out state and local governments at this point, which I don't even know how you know what their ask should be. Is it too high, too low, whatever? Why are you even why are you even putting this into the small business bill? I'm a big believer in uh you know, clean bills, isolated issues, just here's the here's the bill, this is what we're trying to solve with it, and that's it. When you start tacking things onto it in order to get votes 
and that's what they're doing here, right? They're trying to tack stuff on because they're not confident that they could get the approval for this as a standalone bill, which should tell you then something about, uh, you know, the, the, the value of that proposal. In my mind, at least, if you can't get enough votes for your clean standalone bill, maybe it's not worth supporting, you know? Maybe there's something wrong with it. Maybe it's too high of a price tag. Maybe it's, uh, you know, mistargeted or something. I don't know. I just don't like the idea that you run a bill for, uh, uh, for you know, supporting this PPP to add more money to this business loan program. And now Democrats turn around and, and tank that because they want to add more money for these other things. Which, by the way, I suspect Republicans would probably go along with some of these things. You think Republicans are going to vote no on hospital funding right now? Now, state and local government funding, I think, is probably the rub. I think they're not too keen on, you know, throwing a bunch of money at state and local governments at this point. They may at some point, but right now, I'm not so sure. Senate Democrats argue that any legislation to increase funding for the Small Business Administration loans uh, must also include other provisions, including money for hospitals on the front lines. I, I don't know why. I mean, I understand hospitals need it, although... Uh, I have seen some stories where they're not getting nearly as many people or patients and like they just dismantled the field hospital in Seattle, which I guess that's good news, although I'm not so sure for real, because I'm going to get to this in a bit. This has to do with the modeling and what everybody is projecting here is like, okay, social distancing, sorry, physical distancing is working. All of our uh, stay at home orders, all this mitigation, it's all working. And that's why we're seeing really low numbers. And now the the data is coming in, we're adjusting our models and it's working, it's working. Yay us. It's working for now. You're not doing anything to actually stop the infection spread. And once the mitigation efforts are eased, once it's lifted, then you have infection rates that return to the original projections. Right. Unless you end up with herd immunity, all we're doing is delaying. Now, what are we using that time for? Are we delaying in order to get stuff done? Are we delaying like, okay, yes, hopefully we come up with a vaccine, but let's not count on that happening. Let's assume that we don't figure out a vaccine. So now what are you going to do? Right. You've got to figure out a way to strike this balance of letting infection occur and being able to respond and treat it effectively. So I'm not sure tearing down all the field hospitals is the best idea at this point. But one of the problems, just to finish up this small business administration program, Republicans and Democrats alike have voiced frustrations with the program's glitches, including the fact that many lenders were waiting days to get final guidance on how to disperse the loans. On Monday this week, the portal lenders... uh, Sorry, the portal, sorry, not the portal lenders, the portal that lenders use to upload loan application information into the SBA, that crashed on Monday. And several members of Congress have reported frustrations from small business owners who struggled to find a lender willing to offer them a loan if they were not already an existing customer. This is one of the, I've heard this as well. This is one of the problems with the program was that if you're a small business and you don't have a prior Uh, relationship with a bank, then you can't go to any bank and get a loan through this program, which seems kind of stupid. Sorry, it does. That sounds kind of stupid, right? So essentially, you've got got the banks that are going to now have the government cover their loans. That's what's happening, right? Essentially, 
the bank is acting as a as a pass through to the small business and they're offloading any risk of the loan but getting paid back for the existing loans right cuz you're if if i already have an if i already have a loan with a bank and i owe them money and then i go to my bank cuz i have an existing relationship and i go to them and i say hey i want to get a small business loan the bank says absolutely let's prioritize you Pete cuz you owe us money so they're going to go get that money from the federal government and then they're going to take their money out of it and get paid back so is it a bailout for the banks Yes, it is kind of. It's also a bailout for the businesses, too, because they owed the money to the bank also. But it's not a direct cash infusion. You see what I mean? It's This is why I say if you're going to just drop helicopter cash, just do it that way. Just push the money out and give it to everybody all at once and recognize that this kind of stuff is going to happen, right? But instead, we're going to make everybody go through all of these hoops and stuff to try and keep it as you know tight as possible. And this is what I talked with Congressman McHenry about. And I recognize, like his point was, you you want to try and keep it as uh, you know a, a, as monitored as possible, and you want to you don't want it just to be you know all willy nilly and 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 uh, ripe for abuse and such. But I don't know. I think. I just think there's a better, I think there was a better way to do it. Like literally, if you're going to do helicopter money, then just here's your check, here's your check, here, just everybody shows up, gets a check, you know? <laughs> Although you can't show up because if you show up, then you're going to get sick. You're going to get the, you're going to get the COVID-19. Um, all right, locally, what have we got going on? So this is, uh, this is a business decision. Harris Cherokee Center, Asheville, um, to open the, um, Civic Center, basically. the Har- So Harris Cherokee Center Asheville, or as I like to call it, the HCCA, they, that's the new name of the Civic Center that took effect. So uh, it's Harris Cherokee Center Asheville, and they're opening the Civic Center. The city government has signed off on using the Civic Center as a shelter for people living in homelessness, as the uh, Citizen Times article calls, because you, know, you cannot call them homeless. Although the headline calls them cities homeless, the article says as a shelter for about 50 people living in homelessness amid the coronavirus pandemic. The initiative is a collaboration between the city of Asheville, Buncombe County, and Homeward Bound, as well as several other community partners. Homeward Bound's executive director, Meredith Switzer, told the Citizen Times that officials greenlit the project on April 6th, and by late afternoon on April 8th, which was Wednesday, Intake had already begun at the emergency shelter as men and women uh, filed into the facility. Quote, we found that our clients who are experiencing homelessness were incredibly fearful of getting sick and dying outside. They were very excited about the emergency shelter, especially those who are more vulnerable because of medical concerns. Both men and women are going to be housed there. And they got mattresses lined uh, in two parallel hallways on either side of the main event space. And uh, you will not be able to leave and then re-enter. Before entering the facility, you'll be medically screened by volunteers with the Appalachian Mountain Community Health Center. Residents should expect daily check-ins on symptoms and can use outdoor spaces on the property, including a balcony. Security will be present and Homeward Bound staff will be on site 24-7. And by the way, this is uh, they're saying that it's capped at about 50 people and it's all first come, first serve. Uh, meanwhile, Buncombe County has passed the window of criticality. That is the time during which the most can be done to prevent an overwhelming surge of coronavirus patients. This is according to the County 
Public Health Emergency Preparedness Director Fletcher Tove. Uh, This was at a press conference that Buncombe County held yesterday. Tove said he and other local officials believe that they, quote, successfully hit the window of criticality with strict, I don't know why I need to say it like that. It just feels like some words, some phrases, you know, they feel like they need to be said in a certain way, and that feels like it needs that kind of punch to it, you know? Um, they So this window of criticality is uh, the period when, uh, like, it, it's sort of like the point of no return. It's like when you're driving down the road and you see the light go from yellow or from green to yellow, and you're like, okay, how much distance do I have? Like, you've got this window of criticality going on there where it's like, okay, I can start applying the brakes now and make the red light, or if I speed up, like, that that window that you're inside there, you know, that's kind of what I think they're talking about here. Um, the, 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 when they say they successfully hit the window with uh, strict social distancing and other measures that would reduce the number of peak cases. That is a uh, four to 10 week period during which local health systems have the greatest potential for being overwhelmed. Uh, Joel Burgess writing at the Citizen Times says in places such as Italy and New York, Doctors have faced grim decisions about which patients will be given potentially life-saving ventilators. But asked about a University of Texas model that showed the county with a 99% chance of an epidemic, Tove did not rule that out either. Quote, there are many models out there. Okay, well, (laughs) so (laughs) so we hit the window of, or passed the window of criticality, but, you know, we could still see an epidemic. It's, you know, either way. Dr. Jennifer Mullendore, the county's interim public health director, said Buncombe's relatively low number of confirmed infections may have been because the county was one of the earliest to adopt a stay-at-home order. I have some audio from Dr. Mullendore. This is from Wednesday. Okay, and maybe you're like me, you're not paying attention to, like, every single press conference that's being held. I mean, think about it. We've got the county. We have the state, we've got the presidents, like every single day, there are these news conferences every single day. And and a lot of the stuff they're doing is the same kind of stuff every day. I mean, well, I've got some audio from the state one. And so here is Dr. Jennifer Mullendore, the Buncombe County's interim public health director. And this is Wednesday. Okay. Wednesday. Here is how she started her comments. At the, she was the first one to speak at the press conference uh, held by Buncombe County officials. We now have basic demographic information on the cases okay. in Buncombe County All right. that we will share with the community at this time. I need to ex- uh, uh, just point out one, something here. She's giving a pause because there's a Spanish translator translating everything that she's saying as she says it so she's speaking in like half sentences and then she's waiting for the interpreter to finish speaking and then she resumes so that's why you're going to hear the way she's delivering these remarks is very uh, slow okay these this data will also be published on the buncombe county website all right so she's there as she just the first thing she says we've got the data We've got data now, and by the way, this is something that the county officials have been criticized on, is not providing the data to the media when they keep asking, like, how many cases, how many infections, how many deaths, all this stuff, and the Buncombe County people are not giving up this data. And so she leads right off with, hey, we got some data, 
And everybody's like, oh, cool, data. So let's hear what the data is. Before I share that data, oh my God. I want to speak to what is being seen across the U.S. and in North Carolina with regard to the impact of this illness on different populations. Okay. In North Carolina, blacks make up 22% of the population. But according to the state's website today, blacks have made up 35% of the state's deaths from COVID-19. Similar and worse statistics are coming out of other states and U.S. cities. Okay. COVID-19 is infecting and killing black Americans at a disproportionately high rate. Okay. Why is this? Well, we know that in our country and in our state and even locally, blacks have higher rates of diabetes, heart disease, and other health problems. Okay. And we know that having an underlying health problem puts you at risk mm -hmm. from getting sick and having serious illness from right. COVID-19. I have heard that. I have heard that. You've probably heard that as well. This public health crisis is highlighting the deep structural inequities that exist in our country as a result of racism. Oh, my God. That puts blacks more at risk of getting sick and dying from COVID-19. So hang on a second. So this is our interim public health director making the case that racism is the reason why blacks have higher rates of diabetes a am i getting that am i is that accurate that's what i'm hearing here 22 percent of the state's population is african-american 35 percent of the deaths in north carolina were african-americans that's a that's a you know 13 percentage point difference that's disproportionate i agree I, and so when she talks about the diabetes and heart disease and stuff, which, by the way, those are not like like those are factors that we all control. Right. We all control. I mean, yes, there are genetics involved in some of this stuff like, you know, high blood pressure and heart disease. You could have, uh, you know, it could run in your family. Heart disease runs in your family, that kind of thing. Yes, totally understand. But when you're talking about diabetes and you're talking about heart disease, like generally speaking, these are things that we do to ourselves. And look, I'm in that camp, too. I do things to myself and have been for a very long time that will that are definitely undermining my health. You know, I eat too much, drink too much, smoke cigarettes for a really long time. Like all of those things were my choices still are to this day. Some of them. <laughs> so uh, I understand that. But she's literally now taking this up as a racism connection. Really? This is how you leave. You're like, hey, we got demographic information. Remember all this info you guys have been asking about? Well, we got some. And let me highlight, this is a problem happening in the state. It's happening all over the country. And it's racism. The county is committed to advancing health equity. We are working with leaders in the local black community to get the message out about the impact of COVID-19 and to help answer questions from the community about how they can reduce their risk and stay safe. All right, so is she saying there that there's some reason why local African-Americans are not receiving this message of self-isolating, that they're not receiving this message 
of uh, stay at home. Now, maybe you can argue like <clears throat> that by population, um, they cannot they that African Americans in Buncombe County are, are working jobs that put them in direct uh, exposure right, at risk of exposure. Maybe uh, like okay, let's let's explore that option. She doesn't even mention that though. I don't understand that she doesn't even go into that line of thinking. No, no, it's just institutional racism. That's the reason. Yeah. When we look at the cases of COVID-19 in Buncombe County by race and ethnicity, 34 of the 37 cases, or 92%, have been in whites. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So you just got done telling us that North Carolina has 22% uh, population African Americans, 22%. And 35% of the deaths are African-American. And this is because of racism. Yet 92% of all of the infections in Buncombe County are white people. So, so wait, so we're not racist? Is that what, is that what I'm hearing? Is that Buncombe County is not racist because we have enough white people with the disease? Oh, thank goodness. I was, cause I was going to say if like, I mean, what what are our options here? We're either going to be, you know, racist, or we're going to have to infect a lot more white people just to get the ba- to get you know the balance correct to, to even this out. Seriously, like if I'm looking across the state of North Carolina, I'm looking at a lot of white people going to have to get infected in order for uh, for these stats to even out. We need to have a correctly proportionate, you know, by population has to be proportionate infection rate here. Okay, if there are 22 percent African Americans in North Carolina, then they must account for 22% of infections and they must account for 22% of deaths. So I'm not really sure. Like if you're the white person and you're like in the hospital and I don't know that we need you to die in order to get our stats, you know, to balance out here. No, I know I'm just but this is the absurdity of what she's arguing. This is the absurdity of it. Like, what is the point of this, by the way, what is the point of her telling us Hey, I have your stats. Let me read them to you. But first, I need to tell everybody you're racist. What's the point of that? This is strictly virtue signaling. You thought this would be an important point to to make to whom? To the audience, right? She's delivering this message to an audience that obviously wants to hear it. And the people that she was in, uh, uh, that she uh, uh, drafted her speech with, because she's reading from prepared remarks, whoever it was that did this, they all thought this was really important information to lead with. Now, maybe this is the Moonbat Brigade base in the uh, local Asheville government uh, sector that like really needs to tell everybody that this is what we care about. We hear you. We believe this is the case. Meanwhile, 92% of all of the cases are white people. So I guess, you know, we beat racism here. Because enough white people got infected. I, I, I don't know the message here. Uh, and, may, and maybe I'm not the target audience for this. Um, but I, I, I don't understand why, as the, as the health director, this is how you lead off your press conference. This is the information that, you, that you're providing. 34 to 37 people that are infected with the, uh, with the virus are white folks. Two cases or 5.4% of the total, have been in blacks. You 36 know, of the 37 no. individuals, or 97%, have been 
non-Hispanic. All right, so there's one Hispanic, right? This is what I'm hearing. There's one Hispanic, and there are two blacks, and then 34 whites. That's the; Those are the numbers that I'm hearing. You notice what she's not giving us so far is any kind of proportional uh, analogy here, right? She's not saying, what's the population of Buncombe County and is 5.4% higher or lower than the population of African Americans in Buncombe County? It's lower, by the way, right? The population of African-Americans in Buncombe County is higher than 5.4%. So if anything, whites are being overrepresented in the infection cases so far. Is that racism or does that mean we beat racism? I'm trying to, this is her logic, right? This is her standard. She said the reason why the numbers are disproportionate is because of racism. Well, what happens then when the numbers are not disproportionate or they're disproportionate in the other direction? Is it also racism? I'm just asking questions here. You know, what do I know? By gender, 20 of the 37 cases, or 54%, have been female. Mm-hmm. 17 of the cases, mm-hmm. or 46%, have been male. I'm unclear. Is that, are those identifying as male and female, or is that like by biology? Oh, okay, I'm not... A different fight. And in terms of age, the ages of our cases, 17 cases or 46% have occurred in people 25 to 49 years of age. Eight cases or 22% have been in people 65 and older. So what I want to point out is while you hear us say and you read that people over 65 are at high risk, highest risk of having serious illness from COVID-19, we are all at risk of getting this illness and spreading it to others. Right. We are all at risk. And that's a good point. And if it, and look, maybe the outreach that they're doing in the African-American community is working. Maybe that's why we're seeing the lower rates right so that's good news the county also assigned a new later date for the expected peak with an estimated start time somewhere now between april 23rd through may 21st we were supposed to see this peak on april 15th now they're saying april 23rd through may 24th now now we have a whole month of a range where the peak could hit three days ago they had estimated the peak would be sometime between april 13th through the 27th Uh, They did not explain why it changed, though the state has recently pointed to a new model done by North Carolina-based scientists and statisticians who gave two different scenarios that differ depending on when social distancing rules are lifted. They showed a peak either in early May or mid to late May. By the way, you know why this is happening? Yes, they're getting data and it's all getting poured into the machines and the algorithms and the... uh, the formulas are all being adjusted and the models are remodeling and stuff... But the mitigation efforts that get employed simply, they, right, we are pushing that peak out. We're pushing it farther away. We're not, we're not avoiding it. It's still going to happen at some point, right? There's still going to be a spike in infection cases when orders get lifted, when these mitigation uh, orders get lifted. The idea is what are we doing now to prepare for that? 
because I'm not seeing a whole lot of preparation being done for that. It just seems like everybody's like, okay, everybody just curl up in a ball, shelter in place, and uh, hey, look at us. We flattened the curve. Hey, look at us. There's no peak spike now in April. Yeah, well, now it's going to happen in May. Or here's one. What happens after the summer come October? I've got some data on that. Hopefully, I'll get to it. Uh, I'm I'm going long in this segment. I know, I know. Um, there was a study at a University of Texas at Austin that the Citizen Times uh, cited here, and it looked at the probability of epidemics in every U.S. county based on case numbers at the time. Counties like Buncombe, with more than 20 cases, were assigned a 99% probability of an epidemic because of the number of cases we already have. Increased testing would be one of the biggest ways to cut the number of cases. Following a peak, the county will likely loosen its stay-at-home order, which currently has no end. Uh, But it can't do it too soon. We know after that initial peak, if we relax, we just end up with a double peak. Okay, so then the orders just never expire. See, this is what I mean. It seems like nobody is being honest here about what the models are saying and what they mean. What this means to me, what I look at this stuff is, it means to me we are delaying the peaks. And it's and I understand it. I've said this from the very beginning when it comes to flattening the curve. The idea is to not overwhelm the healthcare system. That's been the primary objective, at least in my mind, all this time is to kind of spread out the infection rates, right? Spread out the cases so it doesn't overwhelm and lead to uh uh you know, shortages and uh, deaths because there are not enough personnel or equipment. But the whole point here is you spread it out and then you give people time to prepare, to build the the facilities, right, to, to amass the stockpiles, to produce the masks. It gives us all this time to do these things. But the infection rates are going to resume. They're going to spike again because we can't live like this. Hold up in our hovels, you know, it, it, this cannot last. So we need to be, we all need to be sort of clear-eyed on what this means when these uh, orders, either when people just start ignoring the orders because they're just fed up with it. And that will happen, by the way. You can't keep people on lockdown through June. That's, it's, it's untenable. It will not work. People will break containment and then infections will spread. And then people are going to get arrested because they're violating orders. Like this stuff spirals pretty quickly. We've already seen some of the stories uh, out of, like I've been talking about them this week, people getting citations. You hear about there was one guy in California who was out paddle boarding in the ocean and got arrested. Like, I'm not sure you could self-isolate any better than he was. Are we going to be ready for this? Are we going to be prepared to even have the discussion about what it looks like to to emerge from uh, from the quarantines here? Or if we're even ready and able and capable of having those discussions, are we going to be able to do it? Speaking of being prepared, are you ready for what's coming? If you're not sure, send a text over to my friend Tim. He runs Old Grouch's Military Surplus. He's been offering advice and supplies to people for many, many years. Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. They've been there for uh, over three decades. Uh, And Tim has given me this number to pass along to you. Uh, It's his text number, 565-2497. Uh, if you want to make an order, you can text it to him. You can do it on his website also, oldgrouch.com. Uh, you can look at the stuff that he's got. He's been overhauling his website, getting the products and stuff onto the website. Uh, if you want to ask about a particular item. Uh, and by the way, if Tim doesn't have something, he knows where to get it. 
Okay, so if you if you have questions about trying to find stuff, send him a text at 565-2497. Uh, also, uh, if you need some advice, he, he offers that too. That's what he was doing. He said like 80% of his time spent in the weeks before all of the shutdown orders came down, um, 80% of his time was spent offering people advice and uh, only like 20% doing sales, he said. Uh, by the way, if you are EMS and law enforcement and you're looking for uniforms, uh, send him a text as well. You can, you can make an appointment with him and uh, get yourself uh, some uniforms because uh, now like a lot of folks have to change out their uniforms a lot more uh, often. Uh, so give him a, a text, 565-2497, oldgrouch.com, Old Grouch's Military Surplus. All right, and now Governor Roy Cooper also... Uh, had a news conference. I watched that one as well. I have some audio from that. In fact, let me just go ahead and start playing it. Here is Governor Cooper uh, from his news conference yesterday. Good afternoon, everyone. I want to thank you for joining as we update where we are in our fight against COVID-19. All right. I've restrained myself, I think, pretty well for the last month and a half with Governor Cooper's press conferences. But I've got to be honest with you now, um, as I always am. I really cannot stand this guy's delivery. He's reading from a teleprompter. I had somebody, a friend of mine, send me a text uh, or, or a message the other day after watching one of these things, and he said, it really is a testament. Watching Cooper perform at these press conferences and reading terribly from a from a teleprompter, and it, he's just awful. Um, he doesn't inspire confidence, at least for me. Um, and, and this person sent me this message, and uh, he works in Raleigh, and he says uh, it really is a testament to the the power and influence of a of the political machine and the ability, basically, right, to, for the Democratic political machine to elevate this guy to this position. And here he is, and he's like, "Well, you'll hear. Uh, yeah, just listen." As of today, North Carolina has three thousand six hundred fifty-one confirmed cases. And sadly, our death count now stands at 65 people. I know as we approach a holiday weekend that this loss of life will be even more profound for many. And we're thinking about their families and their friends. As I previewed earlier in the week, today I'm signing a new executive order that does three important things. First, this order requires new social distancing policies at retail stores that are open. This should make shopping safer for customers and retail employees and help prevent stores from becoming flashpoints for virus transmission. You see what I mean? Just from a delivery standpoint, he's like, it's like he's fighting a battle with his tongue and teeth and losing, you know? He, like, his brain is engaged in in mortal combat here with his tongue and his teeth and and the brain is losing well maybe not maybe the brain's winning because i am able to understand the words right if i guess if the brain was losing i wouldn't even understand his words but he just he emphasizes the wrong words and when you watch the video it sounds different on on radio it sounds different to the ear right now but when you watch his the video of his speeches He's got this perpetual half grin going, and I think it's just his face, and you know you can't really change your face. Uh, so I'm not I'm not trying to be ugly about it, but uh, like that's it. It just does not convey seriousness, he, and that's just kind of his perpetual expression. Effective Monday at 5 p.m., 
Stores may not have a number of people inside at one time that is more than 20% of the stated fire capacity or either five people for every 1,000 square feet. The stores must also mark six feet of distance at places where people need to gather, like at checkout lines, and they must perform frequent environmental cleaning and routine disinfection. Even as we follow the stay-at-home order, there are still essential reason, reasons to leave the house, like for groceries or medicine. And we want to ensure that retail stores are as safe as possible for everyone so that no one is afraid to go out for basic necessities. The order also encourages stores to make hand sanitizer accessible, to set shopping times for seniors and at-risk people, to use shields at checkout, and to mark aisles as one way to limit traffic. By the way, most of these things, if not all of them, these were ideas that were already implemented by the private sector, that now he's suggesting and urging businesses to do, if not mandate, like they're saying, all right, here are the new steps. We want to uh, stop the spread, um, you know, limit yourself to the occupancy of 20% of what your full occupancy is by fire code. And then here are some other suggestions, which are basically private sector suggestions or, or actions that they've already taken. Now, I know a number of stores have already taken steps like these See and more I mean? that? to keep their customers and employees safe. And I thank them for their efforts. The second part of this order includes mandatory protective measures for nursing homes that had previously been recommended just as guidance. It prevents dining and group activities in common spaces. It requires face masks for employees. And it also requires nursing homes to screen employees and residents for symptoms of sickness. Now, why would those things not have been required first? Why were, why were these just simple recommendations? For example, the dining together part. That seems pretty obvious. If you're trying to limit <laughs> right, physical distancing, why are you still having you know, tapioca night at the cafeteria? I don't, I, I'm not clear on that. We strongly encourage other long-term facilities to follow the same guidance. We're focusing efforts on these congregate care institutions since the nature of the virus makes them easy targets for outbreaks. The third part of this order requires additional measures that will get more unemployment claims processed faster. The order makes it easier for employers to file a batch of claims on behalf of their employees. This is known as an attached claim. By temporarily eliminating some of the hurdles for these employers, we hope to get benefits in the hands of those who need them faster. Since March 16th, the Division of Employment Security has accepted 497,000 unemployment claims. So far, the state has sent 40.3 million to North Carolinians, and more is going out every day. The department also has received updated guidance from the federal government on how to disperse the supplemental $600 a week benefit. Those payments are expected to begin by the end of next week. See what I mean? Like, they've obviously underlined that word, those payments, and he punches it, but it's, it's like overly exuberant. Those payments? 
It's just, he, he just, all right. It's time of crisis. I will limit my criticism. Let me move to the next soundbite here. This is Mandy Cohen, the uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services. Thank you, Governor. And thanks to all of you. Staying at home doesn't sound like hard work, but we all know it is. No. So many North Carolinians are making real sacrifices on behalf of our families and our communities and our state. I know Governor Cooper will do everything he can <laughs> to soften the impact and to work with our congressional delegation and the General Assembly so we all recover from this together. Yay, dear leader, Cooper shall lead us. <laughs> Again, why does the Secretary of Health and Human Services at the beginning of every press conference, why does she start all of her comments with effusive praise of Cooper? Why? Look, I know he gave you the job. I understand that. I know your uh, you know, political appointment and everything, but come on. It's very Trumpian. This is the same thing. These same people rip on... All of the uh, cabinet members and congressmen and aides and advisors and, and senators, everybody like, oh, look at this. They got to praise Trump before they say anything. It's all this, you know, you got to got to make sure that you pay uh, tribute to the king before you uh, make any comments. I've been hearing this for four years. And look, I notice it, too. These guys get up and they're like, I just want to thank President Trump for his remarkable leadership. This would never have happened if not for him, blah, 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 blah. Like they it just pile on the praise. And a lot of it is over the top. It's very uh, Baghdad bobbish in some respects, right? This like over the top hyperbole. But, but we have the, a very local example here where the Secretary of Health and Human Services, every time she gets up and says the same stuff, I just want to thank. Cooper for his bold leadership and all of his fantastic choices so far, listening to me. <laughs> all right. Our sacrifices are not in vain. We still have a long way to go, but together we are accomplishing what we set out to do. We are slowing the spread of this virus so fewer people get sick at the same time, and mm. our hospitals are there for those who need care. We're doing this. You are doing this. We are coming together and creating a powerful response to COVID-19. And as the governor said, with Easter approaching and Passover underway, our resolve will be tested. Our traditions are steeped in being together. This year, though, the best way we can show our love for our friends and our family is to find new ways to be together. Uh, all right. I don't know why that got cut off there at the end. I did not do that intentionally. But um, she then goes on and does this sort of pep talk thing. Like, all right, maybe I'm not the right audience for this either, okay? I just don't, and I've never appreciated being spoken to as if I'm a kindergartner. I've never appreciated that from government officials, from, uh, well, it's usually government officials. But yeah, I I've never I've never enjoyed it. I don't appreciate it. I don't like it. I find it to be uh, just condescending. This, oh, we're doing it together. Just this syrupy, sweet. I know what that sounds like. I'm like, I hate people talking sweet to me. No, I hate this because uh, it comes across to me as uh, infantilism. Like you're, you're, you're treating me like a child and I don't appreciate it. And I understand though why, like, 
as a public health official, you do have to kind of, you know, inspire the confidence and rally the the public and you want everybody to be on board with this. And I, so I get it to that extent. I but I recognize this is me. I don't appreciate the tone, which, by the way, the Buncombe County interim health director, she adopted this very same approach as well. I did not pull the audio, but uh, like I'm getting tired of listening to these uh, these government officials talk to me like I am a child while they're ignoring the things that I'm raising, which I think are way more important. But be that as it may, the media has some questions at some point here. I've got a, yeah, I got two uh, two more sound bites here. Travis Fain, WRAL. Travis Fain, WRAL. Uh, this is Travis Fain at WRAL. Thank you. Have you noticed why this always happens? You hear them, the name gets introduced, and then they say their name. The reason why is because they're told to give their name, get this, and the question they want to ask ahead of time. And then they get brought on and say the name, and usually it's recorded, and then they ask the question again. So this has been the process that the governor has been using, essentially, to screen calls, to screen the questions. And... Maybe that's why we're not getting any kind of challenging questions. Governor, I wanted to know specifically, do you have plans to try to release people early uh, from state prisons, uh, particularly older offenders? Is anything in the works on that, whether it be a commuted sentence? I know you've talked about looking at those options, but can you tell us how far along any of those plans are, please? The, The safety of our correction staff The safety of inmates are extremely important, as is the safety of the public. All of those have to be considered uh, when making those kinds of decisions. Okay. Uh, Department of Public Safety has already taken numerous, numerous actions to protect people in our prisons. Okay. And they are currently looking at all of the options to Mm -hmm. make things even safer there Ah. while balancing it with the safety of the public and i'll let uh director excuse me uh, secretary eric crooks talk a little bit about where they are in this process all right so uh, what you heard there was not an answer you did not hear an answer from the governor hooks here's secretary eric hooks yes sir thank you governor uh, thank you for the question as well. Uh, just as the governor has stated, the, the department has long since been involved in looking at a variety of protective measures for both the staff and for our inmate population. Mm-hmm. We have been looking at a variety of uh, mitigation strategies, yeah. and that also includes looking at those who are eligible uh, for release. Yeah. Uh, in North Carolina over the last few years, uh, we average approximately over 20,000 release of inmates a year. Yeah. That process is ongoing. Yeah. And we're looking at innovative ways that we can utilize the authorities that were within the department to do more. All right. So remember here, the question was, do you have any plans to release anyone from prison? Did you get an answer to that question? No. And Travis Fain cannot ask a follow-up, even if he wanted to. I'm not sure if he would, if he realized he didn't get an answer to his question, but he did not get an answer to that question. Now, if you do get early released from prison, it means you probably need to find yourself a house. Uh, And so I recommend Rowena Patton. And look, current events have impacted us all in very different ways. 
Uh, if you've been actively looking to buy a home, then you may be wondering right now, well, how do I even proceed, right? With Rowena Patton, your search doesn't have to be postponed, okay? She's offered walking tour videos since 2007, just like the real thing, and you never have to leave your home. Start out with a video consult with Rowena and her all-star powerhouse team. There's no risk to you when you purchase either, love it or leave it, with seller's fees free for six months and a discount for 10 years. The Love It or Leave It program uh, with Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, the only agent that I would call buying or selling Give her a call, 333-4483. That's 333-4483. Mountainhomehunt.com and start packing. Last soundbite here. Good afternoon, Governor. Garrett Bergquist with Spectrum News. Returning to the uh, skilled nursing facility issue for a minute, uh, the first real big outbreak we saw on U.S. soil, of course, was the one in Washington State. Uh, and, of course, now we're seeing it here. I guess my question is, if we saw that this was going to be an issue why did we wait until now to issue these new uh, guidelines yeah. for nursing facilities? What's up? Well, well, first, we had already issued orders restricting visitation, which was the most important thing and, and a very difficult thing for these long-term skilled nursing facilities, nursing homes, when you get separated from family and they can't come in to visit you, that's a pretty big deal. But we did that in order to uh, prevent as much as possible the virus from being introduced into these facilities. And we also gave them guidance in all of these other areas. But with this outbreak that we saw, we decided to go ahead and make this <laughs> guidance right. mandatory. Right. Okay, so what he's saying here also is not answering the question. Yes, uh, we recommended these things, and now we are mandating them. And the question was, well, why didn't you mandate them earlier? Well, we're mandating them now. That's his answer, which I guess is fine. <laughs> Alrighty. Happy Easter. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.